With such a beautiful name as Spirit de la Mer, I guess you'd expect this week's guest to be involved in the arts somehow, and you wouldn't be disappointed. Born in London to parents embedded in the punk culture and educated at Rodine School for Girls, where she is now governor, Spirit was provided with the most diverse upbringing, and that is precisely why she may be considered something of a social chameleon. Spirit is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, Freeman of the Guild of Entrepreneurs, as well as a trustee of ArtCan, arts writer, culture enthusiast and journalist, as well as founding editor of the award-winning art magazine Brogue, due to be re-released later this year. Spirit has dedicated her time fully to the growth and development of the creative industries and firmly believes this is how communities are tightened, with strong bonds being created across all age groups and societal difficulties. Despite her ridiculous commitments, we met for a chat in the beautiful Hayward Gallery Cafe at the South Bank Centre, where Spirit is heavily involved in the promotion of the critically acclaimed new exhibition, Kiss My Genders. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. Well, we're good to go. I'm yes. delighted to say that I'm here today with the beautifully named Spirit de la Mer. Thank I you. always ask my guests if I pronounce that correctly. And, you have, and yes. given that you have such a beautiful and unusual name, I just wanted to check. It's yes, a, Spirit de la Mer, same as um, the poet Walter de la Mer. Walter de la Mer. Yes. And before we actually went live on on mic, as it were, you yep. were telling me the origin of the name, or not so much the origin of the name, but how you came by it. Yes, I had very anarchic, rebellious parents. When they were both in their youth, they ran away to London, and as fate would have it, uh, found each other, and uh, lived a very rebellious, sort of fairly authentic punk life uh, in London, in Newham, and being the punks that they were, uh, decided to name me Spirit. And as I said to you before, I'm very lucky that it wasn't anything far more shocking. So. But, but the Delamere <laughs> bit, the surname bit, Delamere is that genuine? Is, yes, yes, it's genuine. Um, Delamere, I think my family originate from uh, Guernsey. And I think before that, it's an, a Nor name from Normandy in uh -huh. France. Yeah. There's uh, Chateau Delamere and Lake Delamere in Normandy. Okay. So at some point, I had a castle. <laughs> um, and then they spent all their money on women and wine, and I do not have a castle anymore. But uh, yes, it's completely authentic. You want to go back and check your heritage and oh, your, your I know. lineage and do, do one of these new tests that everybody's doing. <laughs> Can you and, imagine? Uh, find out where it really came from. That'd be fantastic. But that's all I know about Delamere side of it. But yes, Spirit Delamere is my real well, name. It's a, it's a wonderful <laughs> name, and it'll stand out beautifully on the podcast. Thank you. And it's, it's great to uh, be here with you. I, I, I was just trying to wrap my brain how we sort of got into contact with each other I think you were recommended or vice versa yeah but our paths crossed I, I, on I social could, media um, yeah I could well have been being audacious and requested to meet you yeah I think the little I know <laughs> of you I think that would that would sit very perfectly with uh, <laughs> no your, it seems your, it's a great podcast your and, personality um, I think it's uh, wonderful to build up a good picture of people from all walks of life in London I've got a good friend actually Rachel Wang and she makes uh, short docufilms Rachel Wang was indeed a guest on the show. Oh, there we go. Uh, she was one that. of the early guests, chocolate uh, film yes. production. She's a good friend of mine and she's also in the Guild of Entrepreneurs. Indeed. Which we are both in. Indeed. So. Yeah. It's funny that. I didn't actually know well, that. Well, there you go. I, I, I did see that connection. <laughs> but on, um, um, she has these rather addictive films and... Um, Yes, and so your podcast is definitely Yeah, she was right up there with her, her film Thousand Londoners. She's been um, mapping the, the life of Londoners. Then Absolutely. she did she did uh, Brexit, yes. <laughs> le le leaving Europe. Uh, which I is was actually ironic. at the premiere at the National Portrait Gallery for that. It was great. Fantastic. We, our paths have crossed and we haven't yes. even known it then. Isn't that, isn't that brilliant? So we're sat here in the, the Hayward Gallery Cafe, but not mm -hmm. just 
in the general part of the cafe. You explain no. exactly where we are. because So this, this is actually the Dan Graham Pavilion. Uh, he's an artist that makes these beautiful glass pavilions and exhibits them all over the world. I think the idea uh, is, you, you know, it's, as you can see, it's an incredible place to people watch, but also a beautiful addition to the Hayward Gallery Cafe. And I think as the summer progresses, more and more people will start hanging out in here and having this sort of panoramic but slightly unusual view of London. It's beautiful. Um, and obviously all the surrounding brutalist architecture, which the South Bank's so known for. Yeah. But yes, absolutely wonderful place to it people is. watch over the bridge. It, it's, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not very good at describing creative things, but it's almost like a sort of semicircular 360 degree glass conservatory. Yes, um, also with the, the glass ceiling, so you have the option of uh, looking to either side of you and up and enjoying a full view of London. Full it's view, yeah. Wonderful. You can see the Shard from here and the Oxo Tower, and you've got the buses going up and down the Waterloo Bridge. Definitely, and it's very nice, you know, because you, if you're here have, pausing for a minute and reflecting on your day or reflecting on one of the lovely exhibitions that you've just seen and all the people rushing past in this hullabaloo in the rush hour... And sort of sums up London, really. Yeah. Maybe my pace, anyway. No, no, absolutely <laughs> perfect. So to introduce you, I mean, I was trying to work out how to say, not what you are, but who you are, <laughs> what, what you do, and introduce you. And it's very difficult to pin you down, I guess, from that point of view. But just, just as a, by way of a sort of brief I, summary, perhaps you'd like to say a little bit about yourself. Yes, I think I am a culture enthusiast. And I... I'm fully committed to the growth of the creative industries, you know, whether that's by me contributing to them directly or if it's me collaborating with other larger bodies or organizations uh, on collaborative projects. Um, most of what I do is based and centered around public relations and press, but also I'm very keen in, in building partnerships with organizations. But yeah, essentially I'm a culture enthusiast. I can't get enough of it. I think Everything I do, my hobbies and my work are so interwoven that it really has become, and it sounds so cliched, but it is a lifestyle, yeah. you know, this is what I do. Yeah. I can't help myself. Sure. <laughs> so I'm just looking down some of the things, some of your, I call them achievements. You're a fellow with the Royal Society of Arts. You're a freeman of the Guild of Entrepreneurs, which is, I didn't even know it was a livery company. It is. It's yeah. an aspirant livery company. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, Base at Drapers Hall, which is a beautiful, stunning, stunning building yeah. itself. You're a trustee of ArtCan. You're a director of Kingsgate Workshop <laughs> Trust. You are um, a founding editor of Brogue magazine. Mm -hmm. Oh, shall I, shall I keep going? <laughs> uh, you contribute to publications, a freelance journalist, an art critic, and on and on and on and on. So heavily immersed in all the art and culture in Absolutely. and around London, which is why you're perfect for what we're doing here on the podcast. I'm, I'm really lucky to have been asked to join and work with so many of these bigger organisations. You know, these are people that have saw something in me, some of them when I was very young. Um, I'm now in my 30s, but... Uh, some of those organizations have been on my radar for years and to have them want me to join has been a real honor lucky as I said that so much of it overlaps so what I do with one organization may it lend itself really well to partner with another so actually it is just this sort of tapestry that works really well together for me yeah. it's not that I work 30 million hours a day you know well, I, it gives you the appearance that you do you don't say that you do but I'm wondering how you fit it all in um I'm I'm a really keen writer and reader so I find that a lot of my life is spent reading and writing in one capacity or another mm. 
So, what do you read typically? What sort of genre, um, genre interests really you? Really into psychotherapy books at the moment, but other than, than visual arts, obviously, I will pretty much read anything. But yes, I've I'm I'm reading several books at the moment. Most of them centered around visual arts, history of art, slightly leaning into more music as well. But really, anything that sparks my interest, mm-hmm. uh, I tend to go down literary loopholes. So I'll find something that interests me and then read about that particular topic for six months. My Amazon bill is horrendous. <laughs> you sound, like, sound just like me. Like as soon as I get recommended terrible. a book, it's on yeah, my wish list it. or it's bought immediately. Um, one book I'm reading at the moment is uh, about collective joy. And I think that that's perhaps what I try and do in my life is provoke wonder. And I think visual arts and the arts as a whole is about provoking wonder in people and showing what is possible and not always what is. Mm. And that's what good poetry should do. That's sure. what good literature should do and good art. I'm fascinated to understand where the, you may not have thought of this, where the seeds of that passion came from. You see, I mean, you, you said you, your parents, you, you're born out of the, your parents are <laughs> yeah. sort of uh. in the punk era, gave you that wonderful name spirit. I mean, do you think that sort of inculcated in you something special to do with art and culture and make wanting to embody people get them embracing that sort of yeah I, th- I think that definitely seeds were planted early on mm. I think my spent most of my very early years going to gigs with my parents on their shoulders and the punk community and the Caribbean community at that time were incredibly close and being creative not just with how you looked but as an artist and uh, with food and experience the whole of London together it was a community and there was definitely elements of my early years of being surrounded by lots of people all the time, uh, being very experimental and open to experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was you know, encouraged by your parents? Uh, the- yeah, I mean, I had pink hair when I was three <laughs> and my ears pierced. And, you know, I, I, I was able to dress myself. So, yeah. Some definitely. might call that abuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but, you know, I, I rocked this pink hair with my yeah. punk parents and cool. hung out with these amazing people, many of whom went on to be incredibly ta- incredible tattoo artists and visual artists mm-hmm. and playwrights. And this, you know, once they got over their sort of punk rebellion, still carrying that creative energy, then went on to do very powerful, moving things. But yes, I'm sure there is something in me that is still intrigued and interested in pulling people together that and probably lots of visits to WOMAD I seem to remember as a child but this sort of collective joy and collective celebration is what the arts are about Uh you know I have it here at the South Bank because on a daily basis it's a a mecca for people that love the arts yeah and it's a really nice energy and place to be definitely tell us a bit about your time at Rodine because that's quite an unusual upbringing not many (laughs) young women can appreciate you know that sort of level of education and upbringing this is true so my parents following on from the punk era yeah it doesn't uh, quite there seems to be a bit of a dichotomy going on here there definitely (laughs) is so things weren't always easy growing up as Mm -hmm. you can imagine and later on we ended up very poor and really struggling and then i saw rodine school on itv news when i was nine I think and uh, not very happy child at that point and I sort of stood up in the room and declared that I was going to this school because I saw these beautiful fields that were a huge distance away from my life at the time and I was laughed at and not very supported I later was but with the help of my teachers at the time and you know a lot of hard work I 
saved up a lot of money and went and sat the exam at Rodin and miraculously managed to get a full academic scholarship, a government-assisted scholarship. So my whole life changed over one summer. So did you board there? or I did. did. I went a off to boarding boarder. school oh, wow. and uh, I was very rarely home. I didn't come home. My mother never really picked me up. It was kind of... I was off at boarding school for six years. So Rodine is down in the Brighton, Sussex. isn't it? East Sussex. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, my whole life changed. I mean, if that, if you can pick a point that my life changed, it would be the moment that I was taken to that school. Hmm. And uh, actually a beautiful full circle for me recently was I was invited back as a governor of the school to go and speak to the girls in the very same room that I was taken as a little girl. And it was, it was almost like I was going back and saying oh, everything's going to be okay. It was a really special moment for me. But yes, my life changed overnight and I had the time of my life there. It's the most beautiful place where it's cool to be clever and you're encouraged to have this really holistic approach to your own education. Mm. And the teachers and the staff at that school supported me immensely. And uh, I never wanted to leave. Mm. It was really magical. So um, your eyes must have just opened as soon as you went through the doors there into a whole new world uh, uh, of creativity. Yeah, and, and I was so supported by my art teachers, Sue Stanway and Christine Harfleet, who I'm still in touch with. Um, one was design and one was art, and they definitely had a massive impact on my life, uh, even now. Um, we remain good friends. So, <laughs> so did you study art at uh, school? Or I did, at all? yes, and I was quite rebellious, I guess. I didn't ever want to wear my school uniform. I'd be disappointed if you weren't rebellious <laughs> <laughs> with punk parents. Yeah, and I, you know, I did fascinating things, like painted my entire study floor to ceiling, because what, in I, your dormitory, in a, you, yeah, in yeah. a sort of Sistine Chapel fashion. Um, but yes, <laughs> that sort of thing went on a lot, and lots of customising of my clothes. And but actually, I was never told no. I was encouraged not to, and I think that was really important for me to have a way of expressing myself. But yes, I did. I studied, and unfortunately, had to leave early um, due to family circumstances. Uh -huh. So that then led me to. Uh, go for a fairly whimsical career choice and attempt to be a poet <laughs> in my early years. Which you've returned to more recently and have actually written some poetry. I have. Yeah. I was very lucky recently to be included in, uh, it's a book called Woman Remapping the Territory Our Way. And it has a, a whole array of amazing, talented female voices, some of which have been in Netflix series. Some of them are film directors. Some of them are Ted Hughes nominated it, the idea was that it's not just poets, it was creative voices in other mm. industries coming and using poetry as a medium. And my good friend Rita LSA, who's an amazing female director, popped me in there and I was very happy to be part of it. So I'm hoping we're going to do it every year, which Fantastic. would be really nice. And that can be found on Amazon, I believe. Yeah, It is, thanks for the plugs, no, Steve. No, well, <laughs> you'll, you'll have an opportunity yes, at the end to pl um, plug away for everything. It is, yes. They're, um, it's on Amazon and super cheap to download on Kindle. And worth the read. And there's yeah. performance pieces in there that will have you laughing your head off, you know. But yes, I was really proud of that. And has that encouraged you to do more writing, more poetry? Definitely. Yeah. I've been writing quite extensively for the past year. I'm also writing a book at the moment, which I know sounds like I just don't stop. But it's something made up that's made up of lots of different other pieces of writing that I've been doing or have done. So yes, I think it actually did nudge me in a different direction, having that kind of acceptance for something that I'd lost confidence for a long time ago. Right. So it was super. Uh -huh. I'm a terrible performer though. 
This was always a thing for me. I could never perform very well or easily or comfortably. When you say perform, do you mean your own pieces or yes. just stand up in front of an audience as a performance? I think performing my own work mm. is so exposing. And as much as I love writing, I never felt like I was a performance poet. I've always felt like it's this battle between the stage and the page. And I'm definitely a page poet. Uh -huh. But I think the performance side of it can be learnt. And perhaps that will change as I gain more confidence. But it is incredibly hard to read your own work. To a load of faces staring at you in a room. Yeah. It's um, very hard to even to put it on paper. Yes, no, I To get I your thoughts and feelings down and be well, brutally honest with yourself. I didn't for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it, it, you know, Rita saw something in me and my work and I'll be forever grateful for that because mm. it has definitely kicked me back into writing again. Do you get along to performance poetry sort of evenings and check I those do. out? I do, I love them. There's, that's becoming more popular today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. huge ones and... Um, my friend has, uh, my friend Poppy's actually just opened up a pub called the Lady Hamilton and I've sort of got eyes on her, uh, top room, um, for, to put on a poetry night. I would love to time, per, time permitting, uh -huh. but no, I love performance poetry. I adore going to spoken word events and being there and being in the room is a really special thing. Um, I remember years ago before Kate Tempest really blew up and seeing her perform in various locations in London and she always had this incredible energy and that's replicated with lots of current poets. There's a real storm happening and um, there's also a really good poetry uh, event called the Betsy Trotwood that I used to go to mm -hmm. a lot. It's called the Be Betsy Trotwood All Dayer and it goes from 12 noon till 12 at night and as you can imagine, it's full of lots of poets getting rather tiddly. <laughs> um, but, you know, things like that, where uh, the concept of getting poets all together and uh, in one room and celebrating, I think, is a really nice idea. Mm. It's a very creative place to be. No, sounds fantastic. <laughs> so how did you get involved with the Royal Society of Arts to become a fellow? So that actually was my most recent addition. I joined last year. <laughs> addition um, to your CV. To, to my CV. <laughs> I think... I, it was more I wanted to uh, participate in a fellowship there because of the incredible access to courses, events, networking and study that you can do there. Uh, it's just over the over the road <laughs> where they're based. And yeah, I, I'm, I was very proud. I always thought that being a fellow of anything was so out of reach. And actually, they're a really welcoming organization. Several of the women I think that you've already interviewed are also um, yeah, well, Rachel certainly is. Society. Yeah, yeah, and it does provide a, a, a solace for people that want to carry on learning mm. and develop their thinking. You know, the articles even that are published in their magazine or and online that you get sent, and just everything about it is encouraging development of thought. And uh, to me, that's really appealing. Because what you try and do, from what I can see, is you try and encourage. Uh, maybe lesser-known artists and musicians and poets mm. to come to the fore and to celebrate their work and to promote their work yeah. in public spaces and galleries. I definitely have a bit of a thing for the underdog. Mm. I think that, especially from a P coming from a PR background, it's I know how this machine works. I know how these artists get their attention. I know the system, the the way that people get press and in many ways to know all of that is a wonderful thing obviously to have that in my armor but it also makes you kind of cynical in a way and I know so many incredible artists with Art Can that I work with and the Kingsgate Workshop Trust who are early stage career artists that 
without support and without that nurturing find it really difficult to get into this hard-nosed gallery system mm. art world and it can be so fruitless and soul-destroying if you don't have support or you don't know how it works mm. and it is just a system and I'm sure you can tell I have a rather anarchic approach to these systems so you know screw that excuse my language yeah. and let's you know start our own organization create a new system that yeah, works create for us. a new system what's that quote by William Blake I must not reason or compare that one uh, you've got me. I if, don't know. No, he says, um, if you're, you know, if basically, if you don't like the system, change it. Change it. Yeah. Um, so yes, a lot of a lot of the organisations that I collaborate with are centred around supporting emerging artists, mm -hmm. nurturing, um, but also community outreach programmes. You know, um, the Kingsgate Workshop Trust, of which I'm a director, they have a labyrinthian Victorian studios, which we still make sure are kept at reasonable and affordable prices for artists. Mm -hmm. I can't say that we're the cheapest because I'm not entirely sure of that, but we are kept below a certain price so that people aren't, the local community aren't excluded. But yes, and also nurturing young people, early stage careers there. And art can do the same. You know, they collaborate and it's through collaboration that, these artists can then develop their practice and you know we've partnered with a huge amount of other galleries and you know art can is rapidly rising through the ranks and i think in the next couple of years it's going to really cement itself in the public forum actually mm. because what does what does a young up-and-coming artist do they want to spend their time focusing on on being creative yeah. they don't want to have the hassle of you know where do i how do i get to be known where do i show my work how do i make some money out of this yeah, and actually, I think all those things interrupt your creative thought. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, even I don't necessarily want to think about updating my own Instagram. I find all of that quite um, time-consuming and detrimental in a way to what I'm actually trying to do. I think yeah. we live in this weird society where we kid ourselves we're working when we're just replying to emails, and that's not being progressive. Busyness. Busyness. Busy yeah. is the new stupid. Absolutely. You don't have to be busy. Yeah, if so I have a if I have a gap in my diary, I think, yes, <laughs> I'm out of here. Creative time. Yeah, I don't. Time. And actually, you know, I go on endless walks through London um, and it's vital for me to do that because I don't have any creative thought while I'm sat at a computer. Mm. I have all of my actions and all of my plans are written when I'm walking. Well, there's two sort of elements to that. Well, there's probably more than two. I mean, there's the creative side because you're freeing your mind up mm. from all the mundane crap of email nonsense coming yeah, in. Yeah. And, but you're also giving yourself that sort of feeling of, I don't know if it's a dopamine hit or well-being. Forest bathing. That's what they call it in Japan, <laughs> is um, being outside and in nature and... Mm. I mean, I'm lucky I live just near Hampstead Heath, so I spend a lot of time there. That's beautiful. Um, actually, one of my recent projects, I've worked with the properties curator at, and um, the director at Kenwood House, and we've turned one of the dis well, it's, it's half disused cottages in the grounds into a community bookshop. So that's been a real labor of love for us all. But the idea for that was hopefully to engage the local community a bit more into the stately Is that home. Near the cafe? Yeah, so if those people that know it. I yes. know it reasonably well. So there's, <laughs> everyone has their, uh, you know, Sunday roasts or coffees yeah. while they dog walk. And then, just past that is a tiny little cottage and it looks like a doll's house. And I could never quite get my head around why there wasn't a bookshop there anyway. They have books in the shop, I know that, but it's not quite the same. Um, so 
we've turned it into and are in the process of turning it into a secondhand bookshop. Oh, wonderful. We are, so, I'll be there even more than I, I yeah. do normally. So we've got, yeah. you know, really affordable books. And the idea is to engage pe- the community and bring people into this sort of stately home and these grounds and get them reading, get them reading about history and mm. art and laying down on a field and enjoying it. Because, you know, Kenwood House was saved by the community in the beginning, all those years ago. And it's free to go around as well, it's I free, think. free, yeah. and it's got the Suffolk Art Collection and, um, you know, absolutely beautiful paintings, Rembrandt and Vermeer. And mm. I think in many ways people don't realise you can just go in and experience those things and then go into the bookshop, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's this beautiful stately home, but it's, you know, it's not a stately home anymore. It's not, people don't live in it in that same way. And the community fought to save it. And I just have this this ideology I guess that they've got a right to it and I hope that the bookshop brings people closer to it. I think it's another angle to relaxing and expanding your mind and being creative. But also you kind of have to walk everyone has to walk through the heath to get there in many ways yeah so encouraging that as well. I love the walk through the archway of all the the ivy as you come through. Yeah it's beautiful I mean I adore Hampstead Heath I think it's wonderful and I it's I'm happy that in a way that it's protected by the city of London, isn't it? Because I fear that if it had been left into the public domain, that it might have been swallowed up for housing. No, it's beautiful. It's one of my favourite spots in London. And in fact, I had on the show a couple of weeks ago, a director who made the film The Ponds, which you may or may not have seen, which has followed the a year of the ponds, uh, you know, all the bathing ponds there. Wonderful. Followed all the people over the course of a year through the four seasons and why they go there for friendship, for community, for support, for mindfulness, for spirituality, for healing. Actually, the the, the ladies' pond um, is probably one of the most remarkable places in London. Mm. And it's uh, definitely palpable how different women behave when they're alone and in this beautiful environment. And it's an incredibly freeing place to be, actually. I don't know, for those that aren't familiar, there's a ladies' pond, a men's pond, and a mixed pond. And a one. mixed pond, yeah. Yes. The mix tends to be quite touristy, and yeah. a bit of a, everyone's hitting on everyone, <laughs> which is not what I'm there to do. I'm happily in a relationship, and you know, a chance to just escape with my female friends is ideal. But there are serious women who go, every day of the year irrespective oh of the weather and even dive through the ice to get into the water <laughs> i wish i could tell you i was one of those yeah. but i like my comforts too much yeah, likewise. My, my comfort my comfort place is my armchair with my books and my tea yeah definitely <laughs> the other point i wanted to make you were talking about creativity and, and administration getting in the way of mm. your creative juices we've also had on the show several boxers up and coming young professional boxers okay and what i didn't appreciate is whilst they're training they also have to sell tickets for the show to make you know oh, to make some money and some of them just can't get their head around the actual marketing of the thing no while they're in while they're in training to go and you know get, get into a fight and but also a lot of people within the creative industry particularly artists and makers and prop makers and artist fabricators and these people that are good with their hands and good with figuring out shape and space are very often dyslexic or have some kind of different magical way of learning, which is what dyslexia is. And of course they don't know what to how to market mm. themselves and sit at a computer and work out a spreadsheet. It's completely different from what they do. Yeah. And it, it does get in the way. I mean, even I find it frustrating when you have a great idea and someone says, can you put that in a spreadsheet for me? I think, no, <laughs> you put it in a spreadsheet. I mean, it's a constant cause of contention. So how do the creatives find you or how do you reach out to them so that they can you know, know where to go? I'm a really good career stalker. 
So I, I career don't mean you personally. People. I mean in oh. organisations such as ArtCan, for example. So you, uh, we have recruitment drive, not recruitment drives, it's not job, but um, you can apply to become an ArtCan member. The Kingsgate Workshop Trust also has uh, artist residencies, but we have an ever-growing amount of artists, but you have to reapply and you have to, be, you have to participate in everything that goes on in the organisation. So you can't just ride the art can wave and take all the good bits of it we so very much that ask, mean participating uh, support in the program come to the exhibitions uh, meet with people help curate the shows i mean we offer people fantastic opportunities within the organization mm-hmm. um, some people decide to be on the advisory board or you know they help with the marketing but it's a bit uh, of a joint effort you know um myself and the other trustees have we've got an excellent board of trustees and uh you know we're very we've you know we want people to participate it it, it wouldn't be a, a as great a thing if we just put on exhibitions mm-hmm. it's not like that we want it to be a little movement that's happening of artists supporting artists and you know half of the trustees are artists themselves mm-hmm. and i think so they, they've been through the same yeah definitely issues definitely and it, and so it's quite personal mm. you know and uh yeah, I I, th- I really enjoy watching people thrive from when they first come and join ArtCan and get involved and seeing how they gain in confidence is the main thing. Um, I was going to say, what is a success for you when you see someone come through, up, up through the ranks, you know, from a, yeah. an unknown artist, for example? Um, it can be so many things and it's so personal and um, dependent on the person. It, I can feel like someone's being successful if they've just been doing their art. Mm because they struggled with mental health issues or because sure. they struggled with time or maybe they were a single mum that was desperately trying to make things work. Mm. I can thrive just watching them do it. I can also thrive watching someone who had no confidence in public speaking or presenting themselves to the public or putting themselves forward. You know, some of our artists, one of our artists recently put himself forward for the RA show and he's only just decided that he was going to be an artist in the past few years and watching someone... Um, KV Dong is his name. He's one of our artists. He went out there and he's particularly good at putting himself out there. So for that, for him, it could be, that's how I see success. Mm. For other artists that we have, the success comes in sales and seeing them joyfully make sales before our eyes and the confidence that comes from that for them. But yeah, it's very dependent on the person. Sure. Tell us a bit about the the work you do at the Freeman of the Guild of Entrepreneurs as well. (laughs) So this, it sounds... I know there's, uh, the word Freeman has these bizarre connotations, but I actually started working with them on their annual magazine called Dare Create Succeed as a Freeman elect. So I wasn't quite made a Freeman. And I went to regular meetings. They meet every second Tuesday of the month for informal drinks where anyone can come and chat to them and make friends with the other entrepreneurs and ask lots of questions. Uh, and then you apply or you get nominated by two other guild members and a lot of what we do is pro bono outreach work. So lots of us are uh, highly committed to hours of helping different academies and schools and uh, nurturing entrepreneurship within the city of London. So it's not just uh, strange outfits and drinking out of no, glass no, cups, it, but it, it really is. And you don't have to demonstrate that you've created a business that you've sold for a billion pounds uh, yes, from, from scratch. So there, there are uh, certain sort of checklist for that particular guild there mm. will be for all kinds of other for the others too but for the um, for entrepreneurs obviously you've got to be an entrepreneur sure. and 
also, you know, show that you've been successful at that and have a proven track record of nurturing entrepreneurship, for example. But yes, they have their checklist. But, you know, I think it's important and we are trying to encourage people from all walks of life to join the Guild of Entrepreneurs mm. there. I mean, we're incredibly multifaceted. It's not like the Guild of one of the maybe older guilds, which are quite specific. Entrepreneur is quite a broad term. And we have really great statistics of how many women are in our guild, uh, different age groups, and also sort of cross different sectors as well. You know, they're not all in finance mm. <laughs> um, and work in the city at all. I mean, Rachel, we've discussed already, she's one. Um, she's a freeman of the guild. My good friend Stephen Wheatley is uh, a member of the guild who's a volunteer at the RNLI. You know, we've got all sorts of people uh, from all different backgrounds, but they, the one thing they all have in common is that they are really committed to nurturing and education outreach and like work really hard. We must all be just addicted to volunteering or something, but they're all in all, lots of organizations too and support that way. That's what's so wonderful about so many people in London. So certainly so many people I come to come across mm. on the podcast is how much a, they're passionate about London. B, they're passionate about nurturing and helping other people in whatever the sphere is. Yeah. But particularly within arts and the creative sector as well. It's just unbelievable. There, there's a really fine line, Steve. There's like real lack of commitment to paying creative people and simultaneously a huge commitment that creative people are willing to give away their resources mm. and their skills. And actually, I think there needs to be like a big campaign to make sure that we all stop doing things for free. I mean, I'm just as guilty. I do a, a, an unimaginable amount of work that doesn't pay me. And I try, I'm trying not to as time goes on because the more the individual stops doing that, and I don't mean for charity. I will always do those things for free, you know, as far as I can. But yeah, we, 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 we are very committed. The creative people want to do it, <laughs> you know, so it's easy to get them to. That's mm. why there's this lack of pay. <laughs> You know, you only have to leave an artist in a room for an hour and they're going to have created something, you know. On, on a wider point, why do you think creativity is, is good for the community? Not, not necessarily for those who are the creatives. Creativity as a whole, right across the arts, why is that important for the, for the well-being, shall we say, of a community such as London? This sort of goes back to my ideal of the creative industries and arts provoking wonder and showing people what's possible and what can happen and if people pull together i think that it shows that that community spirit and pulling together of communities between not just artists but community leaders and even government officials and showing what can happen when you all pull together and that united joy and united celebration i mean there's nothing better we recently in i in kentish town they have an annual street party and the whole community comes out once a year for that party and it's peaceful and it's wonderful and everyone's painting their faces and shouting and whistling and painting things and sharing their creative skills and celebrating these wonderful do things. Do you think we don't do enough of that or shouting from the rooftops are, you know, our wonder our community I spirit? I think that London is pretty good. I think, but always more, <laughs> you know, the more people are out celebrating and I don't mean in a raucous, crazy fashion, but showing your art and showing, uh, you know, people, what's possible, putting on performances, you know, getting together, uh, starting a poetry group, a book club, whatever it might be. It's just, it's stealing time back from capitalism mm. in many ways, yeah. you know, it's going, no, this is ours. And that's, there's so much freedom in the creative arts and 
they can't stop you doing that. No. And is a wide enough, diverse enough audience being drawn into arts? Because, I mean, you, you go to the theatre or museums, you typically mm. see people drawn from a certain background. I definitely think that there's some class issues relating to accessibility to arts. I'm really proud to work with the South Bank because uh, we have so many free events. Um, we try to publicise that as much as possible. But I do think that there is a certain snobbery and a certain assumption. I think if you grew up in a council estate with no money and um, it's very hard to see past tomorrow. And art is a bit of a luxury for many you know, you not just in times. It's what's it? Maslow's triangle. Yeah. If your basic need, needs. Yeah. If your basic needs aren't met, and you're chasing food and chasing money, and going to the dole office and doing all this, you don't have time to be creative and free thinking. And so, yes, absolutely, it's mm. a massive. So, problem. getting to kids when they're young and in school and inspiring yeah. them from I mean, a very I'm young like, age is important. I'm all about that. You know, I think Sheku Kenny Mason just came out, the wonderful cellist. Um, and said, uh, expressed the importance of taking really young children to cheap concerts. Half the concerts in London are free. You can go to a London, um, a lunchtime concert in like 20 different churches in London and experience classical music. And the more we normalize that for all classes and for all social, socio, socioeconomic groups, mm. the better. Yeah. You know, uh, it shouldn't be a thing that only people above a certain pay grade get to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I relish the fact that any of us have the opportunity and sometimes the guild do sometimes different organizations that i'm associated with go into schools and it's the poorer schools and the suffering schools that you have the greatest impact so yes i mean i would love to do more of that maybe that's what i'll end up doing in the future but yeah, yeah poor kids need the the challenging and the excitement i definitely think so and talking of inclusion and diversity, I suppose mm. we ought to talk about the exhibition that's on right here, where we're just <laughs> yes. below where we're sitting, I think. So the Hayward Gallery has a wonderful exhibition on at the moment. Uh, some say quite controversial. I don't believe so. I think it's an exciting topic of conversation. It's called Kiss My Genders. And it's a ce- celebration of more than 30 artists across many decades. Uh, lots of photography, art installation, and a celebration of gender fluidity and uh, sort of ridding ourselves of this concept of a rigid gender. It's absolutely beautiful. It's on till the end of September, and I highly recommend going to see it. If nothing, it sparks a great conversation, opens dialogue, and makes people think about gender and its restrictions that it has poses on all of us, even as a heterosexual straight female. That's an identity that is bestowed upon me that isn't necessarily you know, it isn't necessarily true even, you know, gender is a sp- on a spectrum in many ways. But it's been a really beautiful experience getting to know these, the artists that come, for it, whether they're trans, gay, bisexual, LGBTQ+, plus, across, the sp- across the board, and experiencing their, their, how they feel about gender through their artwork. It's been really, really special for me to do this campaign. So, so what's been your involvement with it? You've been on so the PR I, side. I uh, have been doing, as part of the PR team, we have generated some fabulous press and done some beautiful radio interviews. But yes, I jumped on short term to help promote the exhibition to a wider audience. Um, and I think we've done that quite success- quite successfully. It's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. It only opened, what, this week, I think, didn't it? Or, yes, last yeah. week. So we've literally had our press morning last week, and we are still dealing with all the press that have come off it. We got a five-star review in The Guardian, and 
uh, Time Out, I think, gave it four stars, which is great. And uh, yeah, so we're still... What's been the general feedback from the visitors? There's been lots of different comments, so uh, which is great because that's the idea of the of the show is to start that dialogue. Lots, some people feel that it's quite shocking. Maybe I'm desensitized to it. I don't think it's that shocking. I think it approaches subjects that should be talked about. But yes, it's definitely an uh for adults and uh you know so ha- not, not to bring your young kids along to no, necessarily. No, no. Um it's um I would say it's an adult show and should be enjoyed and discussed by all. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to be part of the LGBT community to show kindness um and understanding to their artwork. Yeah, absolutely. And um I highly recommend seeing it. It's definitely one of those shows that you should see this year. You know, it's on the list. Well, I'm here today. So <laughs> yeah. what is it? What time is this gallery open? To? I think it shuts at Has seven. Shut? Oh, no. No, no, no. You've still got time. Have I'm I? sure. I'll yeah. see if I can nip down there and have a quick whiz around. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, it'd be lovely. Well, I, um, I, I hesitate to ask what else you're involved with at the moment and what you're, what's your next thing you're working on. Well, I've got some really nice freelance projects in the pipeline. I want all again with my, this idea of, uniting different creative bodies i want to explore poetry and spoken word in relation to visual arts so maybe expect something from that over the next few months fantastic Um, but as you know the visual arts quieten down over the summer so perhaps i won't get too busy and uh well you you, you may well be aware of the uh art festival that's going on this weekend art london yes and art night as well Art Night. i mean art night sorry yeah 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 art night again lovely and a lot of those their audience participation and People go uh, take art onto the street and galleries are open late and yeah. all of that. Art night, I think, when I was uh, when I worked at Gazelli Art House in Mayfair, we participated in art night and it was a mm. joyous celebration in well, there. Again, another guest on the uh, on the podcast, Ksenia Zemtsova, oh, one of the uh, directors yeah, yeah, of uh, art night. Yes, she's so, good. She's a lovely woman and I really lady. enjoyed my time there. Yeah. And I'm afraid I'm not going to be in the country. Otherwise, I would have been uh, all, all over that this week. <laughs> but no, art, art nights are wonderful. And Mayfair Art Weekend is another one. But equally, there's incredible celebrations in Newham, not just Mayfair. Yeah. Um, art celebrations throughout the year and organisations and like uh, Rosetta Arts that deal with lots of classes for people with learning difficulties and inclusivity. So they try and get everyone in to learn and learn to make things and create things Mm. and yeah i think it's important to remember that art isn't just a high-end no not at all part of the agenda there's there's lots going on and i can see the uh the tattoo on your arm saying brogue it's commitment (laughs) it's it's commitment to commitment to your art in in every respect you were founding editor of brogue magazine so so yes so basically when i lived in brighton for a couple of years a few years ago now and i was participating artist in an art club there and I set up this sort of low budget art zine which in many ways I now think is atrocious but it was still I got off my ass and did something exciting and set up this wonderful community project and ended up getting nominated for several awards for it later on because of my commitment to the other organizations and things I couldn't refuse mm-hmm. I've sort of put it on the shelf but I'm definitely looking to bring it back. You'll come back um, to that. Yeah, and armed with what I know now. You know, I was young when I did that. And I didn't, don't think I had a full understanding of the creative sector. Not that I'm saying I do now, but I definitely have a better one. As regular listeners to the show will know, I always ask my guests to mention one or two places that are personal to them that they love about London or love in London. And um, 
as you would expect, uh, Spirit being a Londoner and doing a lot of work in and around London has got a couple of preferences, which she's going to tell us about now. I do, yes. One of them would definitely be the National Poetry Library here at the South Bank Centre. It's a sort of mecca for poetry lovers with an incredible archive, beautiful events, and you really can spend hours getting lost in there. The other one would be St. Paul's Cathedral. At five o'clock every evening, they have Evensong. And you don't have to be religious to be changed by that. Uh, there's something in those, those, in those harmonics and in that space. And it's visceral. You feel it in your bones. And it's the most beautiful place to be whenever I can. And if I'm passing, I will go in and listen. Um, and, and anyone can. But yeah, there's, it's something akin to chanting or something. I'm not sure, but it definitely is Very the most spiritual. And yeah, meditative, something yeah. happens. Yeah, maybe it's meditative. Maybe it's the pausing of your day um, with these beautiful harmonic choral voices. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, um, I um, highly um, recommend um, it. They're in my head now already. <laughs> well, they're two wonderful recommendations. And just finally, before we, we wrap up and conclude, mm. can you just tell people how they can find out more about you online, how they can get in touch with you, your social media contacts? Sure. Typical. I'm uh, redoing my website as we speak, but I'm fairly active and I don't leave people hanging. So you can contact me through my Instagram. Uh, it's just at Spirit Delamere, uh, M-A-R-E, not M-E-R. And yeah, I mean, I'm really open to collaborative projects. I have a real thing for it and open to ideas. Um, and if anyone wants to know about any of the organisations I have ties to, I'm more than happy to ping a message over or whatever it might be. But yes, always open to talk, open to creative dialogue, definitely. Well, you're a huge doer. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly don't sit on your backside and do nothing. I mean, it's incredible the amount of work you do get through. and A lot of it, as you say, voluntary as well, mm. uh, just through passion. So it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast thank, thank you so much no not at all thank you and it's lovely for, to be uh, here bringing me into this wonderful space yeah. as well it's really oh, well, lovely to be here I hope you get a chance to look around the show I'm going to see if even I can come back another now. time yeah, it's fine absolutely thank you. thank you very much thank you so it's much been it's been lovely, to lovely talking to and you. you bye every week here at Your London Legacy we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London based story we hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you if so the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.